Hello and welcome back to the Todd Pod. I am Todd Lizenby and joining me today is my good friend Eli Letterman. You can find his stuff over at the Letterman Jacket. Subscribe, comment, tell him how great he looks, tell him how great his stuff is. Over at EliLetterman.com, you can find all the things he writes as well. Covers the Oklahoma Sooners. We're going to talk a lot of Oklahoma football today. We're going to talk some proper football today as well. But first, we have to thank our sponsors of the Todd Pod. MidFirst Bank, the Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford, the best in Oklahoma. Eli, your hair is the best in Oklahoma. Welcome in to the Todd Pod. I'll give you a, an insight. I mean, it's a flattering compliment I get, but every time Key Lawrence, the OU safety, sees me, he calls me Gatsby, and he's a big fan <laughs> of this head of hair. It, it brightens my week every week. It's like the best compliment I get. Um, so I appreciate that. You can get in line with Key Lawrence on, on those who uh, appreciate the quaff so to speak. What do you think he'd call me? He's probably not old enough to get the butterbean reference. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess at some point, maybe I'll just have you show Key Lawrence a picture of me and, and say, if I'm Gatsby, what is this? Well, we got to get you down to Norman at some point. Yeah, well. But that, you're you right. Know, I can show him a picture, and I'd like to, I, I would love to hear what he's got to say. I love talking to Key. Run that by Mike Halk if I can just get in and ask people random things. I'm sure he would love that on a Tuesday. Uh, no, Mike's good people. Eli, you're good people. And right now things are going good for the Oklahoma Sooners. I mentioned we're going to talk some Premier League at the back end of this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your Texas ex experience. It's the first time you've been on the Todd Pod since you were down at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, just how do you sum up what you saw, I guess, about a week and a half ago down in Dallas? I mean, it was the OU Texas Red River, whatever you shoot out rivalry uh, showdown experience because it was a, a beautiful day at the Cotton Bowl. I think cooler than most years, which I'm sure everybody in the stands appreciated. I enjoyed getting to kind of wear a jacket in instead of uh, the, the sweltering October heat that somehow finds Dallas most years. But really, the game is what lived up to it. And it was one of those classic. OU Texas back and forth. I mean, there was more action in the first six minutes uh, of that game than most Big 12 football games have seen this fall. And then it just kept avalanching from there, culminating in that crazy fourth quarter. Texas makes its comeback, goes ahead, and then, you know, it, we, we've hit on it so much, but the, the, the five play, 75 yard game winning drive that Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners charged down with, uh, it was. It was OU Texas. It, I think it topped two years ago in that comeback with Caleb Williams. I think this goes down as, as one of the, you know, in the lore of, of Red River games, this will be there. And then there's the added layer for OU that it, it took them from, uh, you know, they were 12th in the country going to that game. I think people saw them as a, a Big 12 contender. And now to where we're talking about the college football playoff, uh, a, a place we did not necessarily see the Sooners going in year two with Brent Venables. So, it it had everything, OU Texas 2023, and it's kind of shifted uh, everything now about the rest of the Sooner season. I know, Eli, you've, you know, you've followed football your entire life. You look at the schedule, and Oklahoma certainly looks like, with what's remaining, that they could be a contender for the college football playoff. But it's a story as old as time around here. Oklahoma gets to the college football playoff and loses in the college football playoff, right? So I guess my question is, we all know that that schedule-wise they can get there, but what tells you right now that they are 
a legit college football playoff type roster, a team that could go and make some noise in a playoff? Or do you even see that yet? Well, I, I think they're they're in that conversation because of the win against Texas and the fact that they're still unbeaten. Um, I, I think Brent Venables would tell you he, he's got he probably believes this is a college football playoff team. He would tell you that, that the list of mistakes that they came away with in that Texas game and the performance, he would say, we still have a long way to go. However, when you've got a, a quarterback who is playing at a Heisman caliber level, Dylan Gabriel's in that conversation. When you have a defense that has taken the jump the Sooners have in year two and is playing, you know, they're keeping teams out of the end zone. They, they had that goal line stand with Texas that I think was so emblematic of, of A, the way this defense is playing, the toughness, the grittiness, the, the kind that has people thinking back to 2000 and, and the last time this team won a national title. And then the fact that this, uh, this is a group that is, is beginning to really reflect their coaching staff and their head coach in, in Brent Venables. Uh, the, the mentality that he has brought, that he had in his first run as a defensive coordinator at OU, that he had all those years at Clemson and that he came back with. Uh, it was a lot of talk last year and this time of year feeling like, well, we're not seeing it on the field. A year later, this is a program that top down in terms of the guys they've brought in, in terms of this coaching staff, which has stayed the same, uh, save for Emmett Jones coming in wide receivers coach, that really resembles and, and reflects its head coach. And those are three factors, quarterback, defense, and the fact that the buy-in is there and that this is beginning to look like a Brent Venables team. All of that means the sky's the limit. And I, I don't think they're the most talented team in the country. I don't think they've got the best offense in the country. They, they, they don't have the best defense in the country. But I think we saw against Texas and beating what going into that game was you know the third-ranked team in the nation shows that OU on, on any given day can, can beat anyone. And I think you know that's not a possibility we would have considered last fall or even really in September. And so that is what should give anybody, given where the Sooners are now and what's in front of them, uh, some hope that that maybe they could really do something special this year. Look, man, I know there's a lot of circumstances that are very similar from the 2000 team. I mean, almost almost uncanny how many of them there are, right? I mean, you got a left-handed transfer quarterback in his second season with a head coach in his second season, uh, with a defense that's making big plays week in and week out. You know, I even mentioned to you like that. It feels like that was the last time Florida State was really good too. Mm-hmm. I know they won a national championship since then, but it feels like that was like the last time that Florida State was really back and they were really good that year. And they're a team that could be a playoff team. It's weird. It's eerie how much it feels like 2000. But I think you know I mentioned big plays on defense, and that's something people forget is that 2000 team. Derek Strait had an interception return for a touchdown against Nebraska in the regular season that really shifted the momentum. Uh, Torrance Marshall famously had the interception return for a touchdown against A&M. They had a goal line stand in the last game of the season in Bedlam where I think it was Alonzo Mays was the tight end for Oklahoma State, and I think Derek Strait was the one that broke up the pass there in the end zone, and OU held on to win 12-7. So that that goal line stand on the one-yard line, I think that's kind of what Brent Venable says when he talks about this defense reminding him of the 2000 defense. They had to make a lot of big plays on a lot of close games. I think when you look at the schedule, though, there's probably going to be fewer close games this year than there were in 2000 with what Oklahoma has left. I don't know that they're quite good enough to be considered a national championship type team, but all you got to do is get there. We saw with TCU last year, they had a puncher's chance in the championship game, and the Sooners certainly have put themselves 
in position. So as we look at the schedule, I know you and I talked about this on the Letterman jacket uh, this week as well. But right now it looks like on paper Bedlam is the toughest game left for the Sooners. Would you agree with that or where else could you see them stumbling? Well, I, I think so. A week ago, I would have pointed to the the trip in week nine. It'll be to Kansas where you're thinking, you know, KU's ranked. Uh, if if Jalen Daniels is playing, you're talking about an offensive force. And it's probably maybe save for Quinn Ewers, the best quarterback OU had faced. And they're going to go to Lawrence and, and a game that, you know, you mentioned this on the jacket this week is that Kansas hasn't for, for what Kansas has been as a football program. Trips to Lawrence haven't all been straightforward for the Sooners. So that projected as that game, and we hadn't seen an Oklahoma State yet uh, do what it did to Kansas this past weekend. And I guess that flips the script. And and perhaps in this Big 12, the script is going to flip four more times before we get to Bedlam and, and over the final two months of the season. But I do think right now, all the factors that go into Bedlam of this rivalry, of the fact that this is it in the Big 12, probably the last time they'll meet on a football field for, for quite some time, and the fact that Oklahoma State has really turned it around from from the middle of September to where they stand today. That I think would be the most daunting game on the schedule, and that has big implications for Bedlam. It also tells you that there isn't that game on the schedule that you've got to circle and say, "Man, uh, the, the Sooners are going to have to do it on this day, or or we can blow it up." If if they can get through a manageable schedule in which they'll be favored in every game and get to that Big Twelve title game, they'll be sixty minutes from the college football playoff. And that wasn't really conceivable, not just in, in August, but I would say until Dylan Gabriel hit Nick Anderson for that touchdown pass at, at the Cotton Bowl. It's pretty recent now, but the Sooners are comfortably there and the path is so, so clearly there for them to, to have a shot at this. Are we sure, Eli, that if Oklahoma goes undefeated into the Big 12 title game or even has a loss, are we sure that Texas is going to be the team there waiting for them? Because the Longhorn schedule is a little tougher than Oklahoma's. There are a few more places where there could be stumbling blocks. And on top of that, you know, we saw kind of a topsy-turvy weekend in the Big 12 where Kansas State looks like maybe they have righted the ship a little bit. TCU certainly looks dangerous as well. Are we 100% sure that if Oklahoma makes it to the Big 12 title game, it'll be a rematch with Texas? I'm pretty sure it's being widely assumed. You got to be careful even in referring to the Big 12 title game as you know, already settled. There's six games left to play in this conference for most of these teams. I think, you know, you'd look at Texas and say there, there just seems to be too much talent there, and they started this season too well uh, to not be there to drop, you know, another two games and, and get knocked out of that. I think we're going to learn a lot about them in terms of, of how they handled their bye week. I mean, Oklahoma got into the bye week and got to kind of get a rest after its biggest win of the season. If you're Texas, they took a really serious blow. So we're going to see how they come out of the bye week and, and approach these next few weeks. I think, uh, as referenced by Barry Trammell earlier this week, that if these Sooners are a reflection of their head coach, they're not going to, to lose sight of, of what's in front of them. Texas, maybe we're going to get a reflection of, C, of Steve Sarkeesian. The fact is, he's never been the head coach of a team that won more than nine games. I, I think this is going to be that Texas team that does it, but we're going to learn a lot about them about this program under Steve Sarkeesian up ahead. The real question, though, even if Texas is not as good as we thought they were, who's going to unseat them? There, right. There's teams you know, who've all collected losses. Is Iowa State going to, to you know, kind of run the table now and, and go in with, with one loss? It feels hard to believe. So I, I think 
there's questions around Texas, which is funny because I think two and a half weeks ago we said we couldn't find many holes to poke in them. Uh, but I think it's it's as much about Texas as it is who else in the Big 12 is going to come on and, and take them out. So bye weeks are interesting. Oklahoma's coming off a bye week. Um, sometimes when you get a bye week, you think to yourself, oh, man, this is really great to have a bye week. We're not going to lose this week. I live that as a Green Bay Packers fan this past weekend. Uh, for Oklahoma fans, it kind of sucks to have the bye week, right? I mean, you're everything's going so well, you want to keep watching them play. So my question to you, Eli, is coming off of this bye week, can we all, instead of talking about what Oklahoma is going to do or not going to do, can we all just laugh at USC? I mean, that's real easy <laughs> to do, right? I mean, <laughs> you don't know. How, I'm sure you were the same way. I got so many texts on Saturday night going, this is great. I love this. This is so awesome. Which it's funny to me, like my dad became the biggest Notre Dame fan. I've ever, I would never have thought my dad would have rooted mm-hmm. for Notre Dame in anything. And he was loving Notre Dame on Saturday. So how did you take that in on Saturday night? And did you experience the same thing where people were just inundating you with, this is so funny to watch Alex Grinch's defense just wilt again? Schadenfreude is a, is a very powerful uh, drug, is it not? I, my phone was blowing up from friends. Uh, I had a buddy in Norman send me a photo. He had a big pour of bourbon. He was sitting in front of his fire pit with an outdoor TV. And I'm not sure he was more excited after the, the Texas win as he was watching USC <laughs> right. get down by Notre Dame. I was, uh, as, a, as we've discussed, I was at a wedding, so I was on a dance floor, but I was kind of keeping up. And I just saw that, that score get worse and worse and worse. And I think it confirmed a lot of what we probably thought about this USC team. They've got a generational quarterback, a pretty good offense. I think they've kind of been start-stop. Like They've either got drives where they look like the best offense in the country and others where they can't seem to you know, string together three plays. But the defense was, was the thing I think we all saw very clearly. And whether it's personnel or it's Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley's loyalty to Alex Grinch and, and to this defense has bit him once again. They've got one loss still. I, you know, they're not out of it. The Pac-12 is going to be so competitive. But you'd think that based on what we've seen, they're not better than Washington and they're not better than Oregon and, and they're not better than Notre Dame. Uh, and so Lincoln Riley and co. take another hit. Doesn't look like this is going to be the year they go do it. Might be it with Caleb Williams and, and all that. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty wondering, is Lincoln Riley jumping at the next opportunities? Is the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> job going to open up for him? Uh, you know, who knows? But uh, I do know that plenty of folks in and around Norman and around this state were not too disappointed to see that, uh, that scoreline and that outcome. I even have friends that are OSU fans that kind of get a kick out of, uh, out of it as well. I think... Uh... I think, honestly, there are some people, you know, they're the the hardcore OSU fans that just want everything bad to happen to OU and the other way around also. But there are some people who kind of feel like Lincoln Riley a little bit kind of thumbed his nose at the whole state of Oklahoma with going out to USC. Um, So I think there are a lot of people in the state that enjoyed that a lot on Saturday night. And it's it's so crazy, you know. It's, again, life comes at you fast, right? Where you were at from last year until this year, with where you thought Lincoln Riley had USC's trajectory headed and where you thought Brent Venables had Oklahoma's trajectory headed. It's crazy how much in this day and age of college football, 
It can change. All right, we're going to get into some Premier League football here momentarily, but first I have to ask you about the newcomers in the Big 12, one of which Oklahoma is facing this week in Central Florida. They are four of the bottom five teams in the conference. Uh, The only team in that mix with them right now is Baylor, who just so happened to come back from 28 points down against this UCF team a couple weeks ago in the fourth quarter to win that game. So what do you make of the tough adjustment that we've seen for the four new Big 12 teams? I think the the answer there would be not surprised. I think the Big 12 did really well in adding the initial four programs that it did. I think BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, who am I forgetting? UCF, excuse me. They're the ones coming to Norman this weekend. Those four schools were really good ads. And when you think back to September of 2021 when they did it, uh, that was part of what saved the conference. So four more schools coming from the Pac-12 uh, next year. But I think it was always going to be a case where they probably weren't going to be ready for the Big 12. And not that this is a very strong Big 12, but I think it's just how cycles work. Two years ago, Houston and Cincinnati were two of the best programs in the nation. And as tends to happen at, at smaller schools relatively that aren't going to sustain it, like in Alabama or Georgia or, or so on, um, things cycle around. And so you've got those schools, and, and same for UCF, um, maybe kind of on a little bit of a dip. But all the benefits of, for, for those programs of joining the Big 12, that's going to catch up. They're going to be able to recruit better to the Big 12. There's, there's going to be more money coming in. NIL, that's going to matter. So I, I do believe those schools will, will have uh, you know, something to be said for in the, in the coming years in the Big 12. But the fact that year one, based on the fact that they're, they're coming from smaller conferences, that uh, at least two or three of these programs are, are kind of just in terms of the, the cycle uh, at a low right now. I'm not stunned. Uh, the whole conference on the whole has surprised me just in terms of the topsy-turvy nature. Um, but and, and I guess it's these teams that are having some, some role to play in it, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's look, TCU didn't exactly come into the Big 12 and just start beating the brakes off of everybody. And they were one of the best mid-major teams in the country at the time they came into the Big 12. It's a tough transition. They'll get it figured out. I mean, you're going to find players in Houston, in Cincinnati, that can come make you better. Um, I think this probably should have been expected. I just didn't think it would be this bad with all four programs all simultaneously. I thought maybe one of them would be able to get it figured out and at least be a little more competitive. And in a weird way, too, Eli, I think like this between between some injuries that have affected some teams and all these new teams coming in and being so bad – think like for Neil Brown, this may give him another extra year or two, right? Like if it weren't for those teams at the bottom of the conference, where would West Virginia be? If it weren't for the fact that Texas Tech had a quarterback get hurt, uh, you know, in their game against the Mountaineers, where would they be? So uh, Neil Brown's done everything he needs to do so far, but it is just, it's interesting this year. It's a lot easier to talk about the bad teams in the conference and the good teams because there are just so many teams in this conference that I can't figure out week in and week out. Um, Oklahoma is one right now that I think we've got pretty well figured out. Oklahoma State, no idea, right? Is the last two weeks real or is the beginning of the season real? I think we will find that out here in about four weeks when Bedlam happens, three weeks, whenever that is, when Bedlam happens. And that should be a lot of fun. Uh, All right, let's talk some Premier League football because we are back. We had an international break weekend. Boo, boring. Christian Pulisic scored a banger, but U.S. lost 3-1. So. You know, who cares, I guess, right? Uh, But right now, in the Premier League, as we get back this weekend, your Tottenham Hotspur, Eli, are at the top of the table. 
How does it feel? Everyone else is minding the gap right now. How confident are you that Ange can take you to lift the old trophy at the end of this year? Over the moon confident um, with a lot of cautious optimism or caution because I believe me, when you've followed Tottenham long enough, I'm going on a decade at this point. Uh, I've, I've seen how quickly things can dip. But I really do. Um, I mean, it, it's been a blast. I'll say that from where Tottenham were last spring, which was just such like darkness. It was the performances on the field, and then it was everything around the club outside of it um, with the managerial changes, all that. So I truly am, and I, I think there can even be a parallel to Oklahoma, maybe before the Texas game. Of they're just it's it's nice that they're competitive again, and that I can tune into a game knowing that my team is going to bring something to the table that they're going to attack. Uh, and that it's going to be fun. Last year for Tottenham, if we're making analogies, was a six and seven Oklahoma football season. And in a similar sense, now Tottenham, in a quick turnaround, are competing for the college football playoff, or in this sense, top of the table at the second international break. So I'm over the moon. I'm hopeful that the fact they don't play in European competition, and they're really playing one game a week until we get to some of the domestic play, I think that gives them. You know, if there's a even a 5% chance they win the league this year, they haven't done it since 1961-62, so we're, you know, it's, it's all very far-fetched. I think that's part of the formula, though. It's that uh, they're not playing stretched across multiple competitions. If they can stay healthy with this kind of core group, the starting 11 and, and sort of the top end of the bench, because they're not very deep, I think they have a chance to be very fun. I think they're in the top four conversation for sure. And hey, until someone comes and get them, gets them at the top, why not? We're loving Big Ange instead. I love that we're 21% into the season and you're already feeling this confident in Tottenham mm-hmm. Hotspur. It re- fandom really is a hell of a drug, isn't it? It really is. And uh, I've just got to enjoy it now because what Sinatra said it, flying high in April, shot down in May. Yep, yep. Fine high right now. We'll, we'll see how long it lasts. Like I said, I've, I've been around too long to, to, to know it will. Who are you most surprised by so far? And you can go good or bad on this one. Who, who is the team that um, you are most surprised by where they sit at the standings? Again, we're one-fifth of the way through the season virtually. Tottenham would be one, but we've already hit on them. I, I, and I know we're going to get to Aston Villa. Shout out to the K-Man. But I do think Villa, under Unai Emery, we knew they were going to be like fun and exciting and would play some stylish and, and good football, proper football. But fifth in the table after two breaks, is, is or into the second break, pretty strong. I've been impressed by them. Bournemouth are the side that I did not expect to really get dragged down into the relegation race as it had. They were fun at the end of last year with, with Gary O'Neill. They got rid of him and maybe went for a, a more bigger picture plan with, uh, with Areola and all that. Hasn't worked for him. And it's fun to, to go get a guy who plays a certain style uh, until you're in a relegation scrap. And then it's not about style anymore. It's about collecting points to stay in the Premier League. So they've been, maybe my, on the disappointment end of it, I've been surprised that they're as far down as they are. I would have backed them to sort of be in that 10 to 15 range, and they're not there now. How about you? Well, first off, I just have to say uh, apologies if I had a little grin when you said Areola because I was watching a game with my girlfriend once and she just goes, his name is what? It's kind of unfortunate uh, when it translates to, you know, the American use of that word. But 
I, w- I think Villa's the top of the list on who's been the most surprising. I Listen, I'm also a little bit surprised at Man United that they've been so bad. I thought they would be better at the beginning of the season. That said, there's been just a ton of off-the-field stuff with Man United that you know has to creep into the results a little bit. Um, I, I guess the bigger, as far as just on the pitch, like Onana has not been very good at all. As bad as De Gea was at times, Onana has not, to me, been a difference maker for them. And I'm a little surprised that Chelsea just can't get it figured out. Um, yeah. I know the results were a little better towards the end before the break, but Chelsea right now seem to be, I thought maybe they'd hit the bottom last year, and I don't know that they have, Eli. Like this, this may be a fully square mid-table season all year long for Chelsea. Well, that's I left both of those clubs off my list because I think on the United end, it was, uh, to me, like I, I don't know if there's a fan base. I mean, you know how I feel about Arsenal and Chelsea. But I don't know if there's a, a fan base I'd, I'd less want to be a part of than United. And I say this, I, well, there you go. I know that's not just playing placating you, I promise. It's, it's that I, I don't know that I'd enjoy, and it's, it's now similar to Chelsea in a, a different sense, but the big spending every summer on guys that don't necessarily fit. Mason United Mount, and Chelsea, they've become dartboard teams. They just correct. buy players and just see what sticks, and that's not how you build a team. And it's such a frustrating thing. Tottenham have have done it at periods. And now on the flip side of it, Tottenham had an incredible hit rate this summer on the guys they brought in to fit a certain system, to play certain roles. And you're seeing the fruits of that. United, you know, I I think Rasmus Hoyland is going to be good. But the idea that he was going to come here after scoring like nine goals in Serie A and tear up the Premier League in year one was pretty lofty. I think Mason Mount is great. I don't really understand their midfield. Uh, I, I think they're short on defenders. Onana has been the surprise in terms of, of his struggles. And then I do have the question, and I've, I really liked him at Ajax. I've, I've lost a bit of respect for him in terms of maybe the off-the-field stuff at United and how he's handled it. But I don't really know what they're trying to do under Ten Hag. We're two years into it, and I don't, I don't know if, you, if a United fan could tell me what the idea is. Right. So that surprised me. You know I've got a lot of emotions tied up with Mauricio Pochettino at Chelsea. Uh, I do just think, I mean, what in a sense, what they've done is like an affront to the game. You can't just buy an all-star team and expect it to work. And I think that's what they've done. You say Darport, that's exactly it. Um, in a sense, uh, you know, a lot of managers would kill for their clubs to spend like Chelsea have, but I think they've given Pochettino a really difficult job. You know what Todd Bowley did at Chelsea? To he, he, Todd Bowley love-bombed him. He came in and he was like, here's go. a gift, here's a gift, here's a gift. And at some point... Pochettino's got to be like, I don't have anywhere to put these gifts anymore. Like, you know, give me something that I can use, right? And mm-hmm. I, I feel like he, Todd Bowley has kind of love-bombed the entire Chelsea fan base with all the players they've bought. Um, you know, if you watch Welcome to Wrexham, I feel like Robin Ryan kind of did that the first year with Wrexham, and they didn't get up that year. They didn't get promoted. And the second year, they took more of a holistic approach, and it worked. So um, I... I know the Pochettino emotions are strong, but God, Chelsea's so disappointing right now. There's going to be some, you know, uh, Chelsea, I believe, come to play Tottenham. I think they moved it to November 6th. Uh, but point is, if Spurs are top of the table and Pochettino's Chelsea come to North London, the, the emotions that day are going to be very high. All right, let's get into some of the games this week. Uh, I've got four that we're going to highlight, and we'll just kind of, you know, spend a a minute back and forth on them. Let's start with Man City and Brighton, 9 a.m. Saturday. City have lost two matches in a row in the league for the first time in five years, which is kind of crazy. 
coming off the loss to Arsenal in what was a really entertaining game. Uh, the only goal, a deflected goal off the face, in the face of Nathan Ake, and Arsenal win 1-0. I, I'll start on this one, Eli. I think City rebound. I think they win. I Brighton are a good side. They're going to score a goal probably, something like a 3-1. The big thing for me is I think through the last week and a half, we've figured out how Man City can be beat in the Premier League, and it is if there's an injury to Rodri. He is the straw that stirs the drink for Man City more than anybody else. You've you've lost Gundogan to Barcelona. You've lost Kevin De Bruyne to injuries. Now you've got Rodri who gets suspended with a really silly red card, and Man City loses two Premier League matches while he's out. Um, I think as crazy as this is to say, I think De Bruyne is way easier to replace than a Rodri is, and that worries me. Now he's back. I think they play well and they get a win. Now, it's not exactly a poverty midfield without those guys, but when you're talking about treble winning uh, and, and a drop-off, you lose a, a full midfield there between Gundogan, yep. Rodri, and De Bruyne. So there is going to be that drop-off. Uh, do you have wider spread concerns, or is it mostly, hey, Rodri, don't get a red card and, and we're going to be fine? Well, injury concerns, obviously. Calvin Phillips is the backup there, and he's been brought in and not been very good. Honestly, he's not been very good at all. Uh, John Stones has been injured as well, and he's kind of moved into a little bit more of a midfield role. And to be fair, the suspension came at the worst time. But, you know, every once in a while I get on YouTube, like I'm sure you do, and I just search like one of my favorite players and just see the goal compilation, right, that they put together. And it's amazing how many important goals Rodri has scored over the years. And that's from a defensive midfield role. That's not even talking about what he does defensively. I'll just say this. I think the underrated thing about Manchester City, and I know, right, is anything really underrated about them, but they are the best team in the world about when they lose possession, getting the ball back quickly. And Rodri Rodri and De Bruyne are the two best on their team at doing that, at pressing, at getting the ball back, at reading a pass and getting in between it. And not having him was just killer in the last two matches. So I'm not worried yet, but I think we've kind of found the issue with Man City. On the Brighton end, they've done really well against the the big six, or if you want to add Newcastle now, the, the top seven, whatever we're calling them. Uh, they're gonna they'll they'll bring it to them. But I do think, especially after a break uh, and and getting Rodri back, City probably come, return and, and send a bit of a message. Uh, you would think. All right, I said Man City-Brighton before that one on Saturday. We've got the Merseyside Derby. Any interest in Liverpool-Everton? I mean, maybe if it was at Goodison Park, Everton would have a puncher's chance. Always interested in it. I'll be intrigued if Everton can, like, sit back and, you know, just play one of those games where the the luck goes their way. Pickford makes a bunch of saves. Maybe Liverpool aren't as clinical as you'd like, and they're in it. But Liverpool, almost in a sense, more than Manchester City to me, they feel more capable of breaking down a low block and a team sitting back on them. They've proven to be like exceptionally good down to 10 men. Like I, I just think um, the job Jurgen Klopp is doing there right now, despite all the complaining off the field about officiating and all that, uh, is remarkable. And I think they're kind of back to it. I think defensively, like if we're talking about them competing for the league. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. All the complaining about officiating, that's real rich coming from you. Mr. won the game because of a terrible VAR decision well, against no, the Liverpool I, guy. I understand. He asked for the game to be replayed, like opening up the, the whole Pandora's box. I'm not saying he yeah. was – they had plenty Fair to be enough. bothered about. 
but I think I think uh, Jurgen Klopp was above how he handled it, uh, and that it was embarrassing for him. And I do have my, my like hottest take. I really like him, but I think he's got a great smile and he's well liked, and he gets away with so much in in that sense of with the you know when he's sitting behind a microphone. However, they are back to attacking like a Liverpool side should. They don't defend like they did a few years ago. That might be right. their vulnerability in terms of the, the wider race. Against Everton, I don't think they have any problems. All right, let's talk about uh, the late game on Saturday. This will be going on simultaneously. Our friend Ryan Chapman will be in the press box. Uh, That'll be fun. For about, maybe for about 15 or 20 minutes or so paying attention to this one because Chelsea and Arsenal at 11.30 on Saturday. Can Pochettino get it done and take points off of an Arsenal team who are riding high? It's a little bit like for Arsenal, we talk about with OU in Texas. You have that that are you going to have that dip the next week? Well, they got a week off just like Oklahoma and Texas did with the international break. And now they're back in the league. Do we see any sort of layover from the Arsenal win against city? We'll see. I mean, Arsenal still hasn't been, you know, beating the bricks off of anybody. They were, it was a very, a very fortunate bounce. And then you can tell me, did they deserve the three points you felt like, uh, a draw probably would have been deserved. Fair. I was driving back from Oklahoma, Texas that Sunday, so I missed it. Um, but point is, they've played very well, but they also haven't uh, been at the races, as they might say, across the pond. And I, I guess the question then is which Chelsea shows up. Um, they've, they're not allowing a ton of goals. They're, they're not scoring many either, so maybe they can bring something to this. I, I think Reese James is supposed to be back. It's intriguing. I'd love to see uh, you. You won't find me rooting for Chelsea very often, but I'd love to see them take some points off of Arsenal. Spurs can stay top, but uh, I would still lean. I mean, our Arsenal kind of have that medal. They've 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 proven that they're capable of of handling big games and beating big teams. If if we want to call Chelsea that right now, um, but maybe Chelsea surprises. There's a great uh, mashup somebody did of Sean Dyche who like a hundred times says, we weren't at the races today. We weren't at the races today. And it's a great little mashup. It is his favorite phrase. And it's one of the ones I love. I also love, we didn't get the rub of the green, which is one Mm. of my other favorite phrases. Uh, Okay. And then we have a Sunday matchup between two top seven teams. Believe it or not, fifth place Aston Villa against seventh place West Ham United. A lot of claret, a lot of blue. What do you make of this matchup? You know, we talk, you use the term like mid-majors, talking about TCU before. These would be, if, if you're a non-Premier League fan or a casual fan, these are like some of the best of the mid-majors right now in the Premier League. I think you'd put Brighton in there as well, obviously. They've been fun, though. Aston Villa, we hit on it. Fun surprise. They, they're, they're playing a really attractive brand with Unai Emery. And same for West Ham, who, who fell off a bit in the league last year while competing in Europe and all that. But David Moyes has them playing fun. Um, it feels like, and I think it's just because they've had Mikel Antonio for all this time, but it feels like they've been the same team for like six years. But what that team is, is a side that is kind of scrappy. They defend well, and all they need is, is one error. And you're going to have Mikel Antonio firing a, a ball uh, into the back of the net. Jared Bowen is dangerous. So th- that actually, and uh, you know, you remove all the big six implications for those of us who have complicated rooting interests whenever Chelsea and Arsenal, for instance, play. This should just be a blast to, to watch. Yeah, it should be a really fun one. I'm looking forward to that one on uh, Sunday morning. Any worry about Tottenham on Monday? Fulham are no joke either, but I, I feel I feel more 
and Fulham actually are the only team at this point to beat Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham. They knocked him out of the Carabao Cup in a penalty shootout. Uh, however, I've, this is a, a difference from the last few years. I feel confident going into every match now with Tottenham. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts throughout the season. We'll keep the uh, Eli. You know how the Sickos committee on Twitter has the uh, what is uh, Brian Ferentz, the road to 325 <laughs> or whatever to average 20 points a game, 25 points a game. He's We're going to do the there, Eli the confidence level. I, at some point, it's going to fall off a cliff, I'm sure. Uh, that's the Tottenham Hotspur experience. Okay, rapid fire before we get out of here, Eli. We're going to take the two things we talked about today, OU football and the Premier League, and I'm going to ask you some questions, some mashup questions. We'll just say Big 12 football and the Premier League. What manager in the Premier League, current, Past, what manager reminds you the most of Brent Venables? Whoa. That is very, very good. Hmm. I've got That's you deep in one. thought. Can I, yeah. can I, can I give you Please. one? How Please. about Sean Dyche? You know what? It's funny. That's where my mind went. It's, it's not, um, hothead would not be the term. And that's not how I describe either of them, but it is that, unbelievable intensity of a former player and a for you know a prominent player uh that i really see there you know what not Premier League, but diego simeone in la liga i think That's has a some good one. Medals. again again a, a former prominent player um who just has that certain intensity and a way of of getting it imprinted on his own team and his own players so i'd say diego simeone sean deitch Okay, how about what Premier League manager, or we'll just say what manager in world football, past or present, reminds you of Mike Gundy? I'll say this. It's an incredible uh, comparison. Sir Alex Ferguson really had a way with words and, and being entertaining when he spoke and direct when he spoke. Mike Gundy has a similar power. Might be the first time in recorded history that Mike Gundy and Sir Alex Ferguson have been compared. And, and shoot, all the United fans after this podcast, between what I said about them before and, and between that, may not be thrilled with me. But that, uh, that's, that's who comes to mind. Can I tell you who comes to mind for me? And it's another guy we mentioned in this podcast already. Jurgen Klopp. I mean, Mike Gundy will say some things sometimes and, and he'll get away with them because he does them in kind of an aw shucks kind of way. Right. I mean, he's got a rapport with reporters mm -hmm. that I think Jurgen Klopp has with the media as well. And he gets a lot of leeway because of that. So I think that's who I would compare him to. Premier League. I think there's a little bit of Jose Mourinho there as well, just in being pragmatic in, you know, this is what I got. Here's how I'm going to win games. And turns out he's pretty good at it. And both know how to own a press conference one way or another. All right. Here's your next one. What Premier League player? or what soccer player, past or present, reminds you of Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma quarterback? Another guy who came up, Ilkay Gundogan, in terms of, of his sort of indescribable, I mean, he, he obviously has a, a profile in terms of what kind of midfielder he is, but, you know, I've seen Ilkay Gundogan finish in front of goal, he defends well. He can pick a pass. He kind of does it all. And shoot, you watch that Texas game. Dylan Gabriel is the guy doing it all for the Sooners right now. He's running. He's throwing the ball exceptionally well. He's tough. And to this point in 2023, he's simply just been a winner. And I think that's how I would describe Ilkay Gundogan. It doesn't really matter what he's doing on a given day. 
he everywhere he has is goes winning is happening very often and right now Dylan Gabriel is having a lot of that same success I think that's a great comparison I'm gonna go with Stephen Parker to go with kind of a or not Steve Parker Scott Parker I got the old Steve Parker the old OU uh defensive back Scott Parker is that right Scott Parker yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned yeah. nice yeah. hair earlier. Yeah. Scott Parker's got a good head of hair. I've got myself so confused now. Scott Parker, West Ham United. Uh, I think he's with Bolton for some time as well, too. He's with Aston Bird. Villa, right? Was he with Villa, mm-hmm. I think? But just one of those guys who remember he was the PFA player of the year. This is when I first started watching soccer. And you'd watch him and you're like, what does he do well? And it's like, I, he just does. Like he, Like, he doesn't do anything that jumps off the page at you. But you look at the end of the game, and he's got a goal and assist. You know, he's ninety percent pass completion, and he's also got a couple of key tackles as well. Uh, Dylan Gabriel doesn't have as many tackles as Scott Parker used to have, but he uh, he does kind of do that not flashy stuff. All right, last one. I think this will be the most fun one. What soccer player, past or present, most reminds you of OU linebacker Danny Stutzman? Ooh, with the Tottenham reference. And current, um, I, I think there could be some Christian Romero there in that he has a knack and, and seemingly a natural ability. He, he tackles so well. And Christian Romero has this knack for making tackles that look like vicious, vicious fouls and leaving opponents not feeling very good after them. But you watch them and they're completely clean. Danny Stutzman has that natural tackling ability at linebacker that you can't teach that you very rarely see, but when you see it, you know it immediately. Malcolm Rodriguez also had that at Oklahoma state, just this innate ability there. So that that's my comp. I do love the idea of just comparing middle linebackers and, and really central defenders uh, or defensive midfielders, but Christian Romero, obviously a, a center back. So I'm going to go more off the field or off the pitch. Okay. On who reminds me of Danny Stutzman. And I'm going to be a total homer on this one. I know where you're going. Jack Grealish, Manchester City. Uh, Life of the party. He's all, he does not seem to change whether the camera's on or off or he's in front of the microphone or away from it. But at the same time, like one of the kindest, nicest human beings you can ever meet. Like he, he seems to be very personable and someone you could come up to in the street and talk to and he would have conversation with you. Also, much like Jack Grealish, I think uh, Danny Stutzman in his second full year is starting to shine, just like Jack Grealish did last year in his second full year with Manchester City. So uh, that's my comparison. Do we like it? I do. I think one other parallel is both, I think, because of their personalities can either have at times or or at least have given off the the idea that they're not as serious about their craft um, as they both truly Mm -hmm. are. Brent Venables loves to tell the story. It's kind of the Danny Stutzman, the, the part of the origin story. Danny Stutzman was the jokester who didn't ask for a playbook for eight months is, is how Brent tells the story. Uh, but for all the goofiness of Danny Stutzman, he has become, at the very least, one of the most serious guys on that team when it comes to football and what he wants to do at Oklahoma. I think Jack Grealish, uh, given his uh, propensity for celebratory benders and kind of that party boy um, reputation he's built up has distracted from the fact that he's a fabulous footballer who is a Champions League winner now, Premier League winner now, regular England international, and has established himself as one of the most serious soccer players in the world. I also love uh, you know, the fact that 
Jack Grealish, I heard him on a podcast once where he said, he's like, listen, my girlfriend gives me a hard time. She always says to me, if you weren't playing soccer, I don't know that you could have another job. And like, I just can't see myself seeing Danny Stutzman do anything else other than play football. You know what I mean? I don't mean that as a knock on him. I'm sure he'd figure it out, but he just feels like a football player. He kind of eats, sleeps, and breathes football, which I think Jack Grealish does as well. Mm. All right, Eli, this has been fun. Tell everybody what you've got going on at EliLetterman.com and on the Letterman jacket this week. Well, it's OU UCF week. Sooner's back from the bye. And I'm going to have something. Obviously, this is a big week. Dylan Gabriel going up against the team he spent three seasons with to start his career, where he's a true freshman quarterback. I'm diving into that 2019 season of other coverage on the Sooners as they get going kind of in the back half of their season. Letterman Jacket with you will be out soon, if, if not already. Another one with Garen Emig. Plenty of Sooner stuff as we gear up for what lies ahead. All right, don't forget. Can I can I just say Bear got a haircut here. and he wants to say hello to everybody. Bear, do you want to come up here and say hello to everyone? Hi, Bear. On the Todd Pod, Bear got a haircut this week and he's looking real great. So Bear and I want to tell you that if you like what you've seen uh, or if you like what you've heard, we would love for you to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get, you, wherever you get your podcast. If you hate what you've seen or heard, we would hate for you to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. So do that accordingly. And don't forget also leave us a comment as well on the Todd pod until next time. We will talk to you then. Thank you, Eli. Talk to you, buddy. See you.